Welcome to Embrace Your Brain's exciting new series called Embracing the Mature Mind. Join Dr. Dee Coulter as she explores the natural brilliance awaiting us all in the upper decades. Welcome to the podcast. Today's topic, a fresh look at giving up. The idea of learned helplessness took form in the 1970s. It arose based on some rather cruel animal experiments that probably wouldn't be allowed today. They studied how dogs behaved when they were faced with random, mild shocks to their feet in a setting where they couldn't escape. Faced with an inability to predict or to control the situation, most of them gave up, and they either became chronically agitated and fearful, or they just curled up in the corner of their cage. Once these dogs concluded that it was helpless, they succumbed to a state that became known as either anxious or depressed learned helplessness. Looking at that research today, however, several flaws stand out, and new findings give us much more insight into why these responses arose. First, the research design was highly artificial. Situations that bring animals and humans to the point of giving up tend to be in relation to others in some way. This design wasn't interactive. Secondly, it never considered that the different layers of the brain each might address a lack of control and an inability to predict danger differently. And finally, it would be another 15 years before Stephen Porges would bring forth his extensive research on the forked pathways of the vagus nerve. Thanks to these findings, we can now understand just which response patterns are collapsing as we fall into learned helplessness. When our nervous system is working well, we meet new situations, new people, and new problems with what Porges would refer to as the upper vagal pathway. It's designed for social engagement, and it's our best first choice in most situations. We try to get along. We smile, we listen, we offer to shake hands, perhaps we share a meal, and we speak in a calm and friendly voice. And most importantly, we have full access to both of the top brain layers. The third layer, the neocortex, lets us think clearly and plan skillful strategies for dealing with any problems. And our top layer, the frontal lobes, allows us to see the big picture to find win-win solutions to any problems, and to feel and express compassion easily. Ideally, this is how we want to conduct ourselves as individuals, as groups, and even as countries. But what if we find this approach isn't working? That there seems to be no way to solve the problem? That we just can't trust the situation or the other groups or individuals to cooperate and be safe? Then, our access to this upper vagal pathway closes down, and we must retreat to one of two lesser choices. If we can, we'll try choice number two, because it protects us more safely than the last one. We set the vagal system aside, and we draw on an emotionally charged pathway called the sympathetic nervous system. That system is designed to act quickly and either fight or flee, whichever seems to be the best choice. 
It trades in the ability to think for speed, a quick reaction time, and all the muscle power we can muster. When we turn that system on, we flood our nervous system with adrenaline, which makes it hard to calm back down. We can remain jumpy or anxious for a long time after a surge like that. But if it succeeds in protecting us, we begin to create a pattern of staying fired up and maintaining a higher than normal level of adrenaline in case it might happen again, even though we can't tell when that might be. So we settle into a state of anxious learned helplessness. Our second brain layer, the limbic system, is now in charge. But if that high energy on switch fails to protect us, we have one more fallback response available to us. It's far from ideal, but if we're truly desperate, we'll use it. We can activate the off switch called the parasympathetic nervous system and connect that with the lower vagal pathway that Stephen Porges describes as a pathway capable of shutting down nearly all bodily functions, lowering our breath and heart rate to near death, raising our pain threshold to where we almost feel no pain, dulling our mind to where we have no interest in our surroundings at all, and causing our muscles to remain limp and quite still. So why in the world would we use that as a way to protect ourselves? Well, consider what we look like to any predator. We look as if we're already dead, and therefore hopefully not very interesting to them. For reptiles, this is a brilliant choice. They can't run very fast, and if they aren't stronger than the opponent, they can't win by fighting either. The next, the near-death choice, lets them hide underwater for long periods of time or hold perfectly still while they're camouflaged against a rock for hours. It does no harm to their vital organs since they're built to take these long shutdowns easily. But for mammals and humans, it's a very different story. It can lead to serious digestive problems if it becomes a habitual response pattern and it can even trigger cardiac arrest and death in extreme cases. This kind of learned helplessness is trapped in a cycle of core brain layer responses to stress, and it's usually described as depressed learned helplessness. We can even see this state of apathy or of giving up happening at a cultural or political level too, when efforts to solve major problems seem hopeless. With humans, there's some good news. First, it may just affect certain aspects of our lives, not our whole lives, like it invariably does for animals. We may feel perfectly competent in one area of our lives, but have given up in some other domain, like maybe learning math, or making friends, or facing a health crisis, or adjusting to a major loss. And... Since we humans usually fall into giving up by thinking, well, that means maybe we can think our way out of it, too. For now, I'll leave you with two quick ways to reawaken those top two brain layers when you're feeling hopeless about something. The first is going to be to change your posture and your facial muscles. Chances are you're either overly tense or slumped over. So sit up straight but relax your shoulders 
and breathe smoothly and smile. This will activate that upper vagal pathway for a brief time. The other strategy will link the upper vagal pathway to the off switch system to help you feel calm. It just involves taking three deep breaths, but with a slight twist. As you take a deep breath in, hold it there, and then breathe in just a bit more before allowing yourself to release all of that air and relax. Do that for three times. You could try it now. Breathe in, in some more, and then breathe out. Breathe in, in some more, and then breathe out. One more time. Breathe in, in some more, and then breathe out. And you will again find that you have reawakened the top two brain layers, perhaps long enough to take a fresh look at any problem. Next time, we'll take a look at some of the more lasting strategies that neurologists and psychologists and coaches have discovered. I really hope you'll join me in this important conversation. Please send your comments for sharing to d at embraceyourbrain.com. I look forward to hearing from you.